podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to another episode of Off The Wall, the podcast here at Anfield Index where we try to give you a little flavour of some of the stuff going on over on the paywall side of Anfield Index at uh, Anfield Index Pro or AI Pro as we like to uh, condense it. The uh, just gets better and better, doesn't it folks, to being a Liverpool fan this season. Uh, Porto uh, overwhelmed convincingly in the uh, Champions League quarterfinals and this uh, league title still on the line. Was it good that... Man City went out last night. Was it not less games, but uh, has it dented their confidence? That's really what uh, what we're hoping for, and maybe Spurs can do us a another favour on uh, on Saturday. If not, we're going to turn into Man United fans next week. But alas, before we uh, get into all that and start previewing uh, Cardiff's uh, the game at Cardiff on Sunday, uh, we need to uh, take a look back at what's been a, a momentous week as as Liverpool fans and. Uh, as we always do uh, over on AI Pro, we have this post-match show called Post-Match Raw, and we're going to give you that full show uh, today. Uh, Trev Downey once again hosting. This time he's joined by uh, Dave Hendrick, uh, who gives his own uh, indefatigable style to proceedings, and uh, Carl Matchett, uh, uh, the writer Carl Matchett. So uh, what these guys do is they've got together immediately on the final whistle, and they've taken a look at the Porter game. There's obviously some discussion about some of the major incidents, and they also look ahead slightly to uh, what's going to be a mouth-watering semi-final against Barcelona. So uh, I do hope you're going to enjoy this one. I know I did when I listened to it late last night. The show dropped sort of usually within an hour or an hour and a half of the uh, of the final whistle on matches. It's something we do uh, we do after every match. So as you can imagine, with what's coming up uh, in the remainder of this season and the games that are to come, uh, it's a great uh, a great podcast to listen to as the matches uh, as the matches end, and it kind of draws a line under each game and then gets you excited for the next one that's about to come. So uh, if you want to listen to all the content that we have on Anfield Index and of on Anfield Index Pro, I should say, then uh, the free trial that we offer is the best way to do that. There's no obligation to uh, to continue. You get seven days absolutely free and you can sign up to that very quickly. It's anfieldindex.com forward slash join. That's the, the way to go and get hold of that free trial. And uh, if you want to continue after the seven-day free trial, it's only £4.99 a month, price of a couple of cups of coffee. Or you can reduce that to only £3.33 per month by taking our uh, our yearly option, which is uh, which is currently only £39.99. So that's a, a reduced price on, on that for the remainder of the season. So £39.99 gets you a whole year of Anfield Index Pro. And there's around 30 podcasts per month on that service. You also get... a. Uh, yeah, Mulby's weekly show, you get Under Pressure, our sort of flagship stat show. You get first listen, exclusive listen to Sir Kenny Dalgleish and the King and AI podcast, which uh, I'm fortunate enough to do uh, alongside King Kenny and uh, and Paul Dalgleish as well. So there's also uh, Euro Incision, which is going to, that Nina Kauza hosts, which is going to be a popular show uh, for the remainder of the Champions League, certainly in the build up to those uh, Barcelona games and hopefully beyond in a, in a final in Madrid. So without further ado, let's leave you in the capable hands of Trev Downey, Dave Hendrick, and Carl Matchett, here is post-match rule following Liverpool 4, FC Porto 1. 
Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on AI Pro. I'm Trev Downey podcasting to you from beautiful rural Ireland and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Porto 1, Liverpool 4 in the Champions League quarterfinal from the Estadio de Drogao are Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett. Uh, Dave, basically the Reds are in the last four of Europe, uh, Europe's biggest competition, Europe's premier competition. Um, it's uh, the second time under under Jurgen Klopp in a very short period of time that we found ourselves in this position and uh, UEFA coefficients and that type of nonsense aside, although you know it does have its own merits, this is a remarkable achievement. It is Trev, and not only is it the second successive semi final in the Champions League, it's our third success of reaching the semi final stage in all European competitions that we've been in. Um, We're yet to lose a two-legged affair under Jurgen Klopp in Europe, which is remarkable. And hopefully that holds up when we face uh, face Barcelona, because that's going to be a big test. Um, But I thought tonight we were very professional, a little bit ragged in the first half of times. But once we got the goal, we settled down and the life kind of went out of them. And from there on, I just thought we were I thought we were very, very good. I spoke um, briefly in um, um, at, at chat group that I'm in with the lads who are on the AIP, and there was a lot of a bit momentary consternation about you know, you know, bloody VAR and takes the joy out of celebrations and so on. You know, bottom line is though, it got it right for us tonight at a time when that was absolutely crucial. Because I'll be honest with you, Dave tremendous achievement and all the rest of it and we went on to be a little bit more dominant as the game went on and I suppose the spirit slightly went out of them although they played consistently till the end Mm. but honestly we took you know just in general terms we'll get into the details in a minute but we took quite the pasting uh, in terms of certainly in terms of opportunities coughed up in terms of uh, possession coughed up in the middle of the park and so on for the first half hour 35 minutes it was you know it was, it was uh, pretty ugly to watch it was i mean i think they had about 60% possession in that period of time they had something like 15 shots on target in the first half but if you look at their expected goal from those 15 shots it was like 0.66 or something very, very low. So, yes, they were having a lot of possession. Yes, they were having a lot of shots, but they weren't creating any real chances. They were just pumping the ball to Mariega, and as soon as he was getting it, he was just getting it out of his feet and shooting from wherever he was on the pitch. And he wasn't exactly troubling Allison. and I, I never felt like we were in any real danger. I mean, look, we're the best defensive team in Europe this season. We weren't going to go there and concede three, uh, no matter what. And, um, you know, yeah, if they got one, it certainly would have boosted them. But I think it would have given our lads the kick up the arse that we often need. We've seen a couple of times this season where we've looked sloppy, conceded the first goal, and then we've sorted ourselves out. Virgil gets them all and screams at them, and then they sort themselves out. And I thought him and Fabinho in that first half were holding this team together um, and showing exactly why myself, yourself, Carl, and many others have said that those two, no matter what, need to be in our team. Yeah, it's 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 true, Carl. I mean, at a, on a night when uh, a little bit of calmness and solidity was required, we did have a situation um, that I've mentioned to Dave there, where there was a you know a storm of fashion to be weathered. the The atmosphere was 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 uh, as uh, buoyant and um, intimidatory as you would expect. The um, Possession of the ball was very much um, in their favour, as they've mentioned already. I referred there to the fact that we were coughing up an unusual amount of ball, um, you know, misplaced passes and the like. 
you know, I think it was only into the second half when Jimmy Miller was asked to exclusively be a left back that he seemed to find his feet in the game. Um, yeah, Ginny Wijnaldum similarly, um, not exactly comfortable uh, like we usually see him in those opening uh, goings. But it did come down to our big men standing up and doing what we need them to do, despite the fact that Morega and, uh, and Cole didn't really have too much in the way of properly threatening attempts on goal. No, I think for Morega especially, it was more a case of the same as the first leg. He got himself into some great positions and he was a threat, but his finishing was abysmal. It really, really was uh, across both legs. And we can be thankful for that. Um, but as you say, that the midfield arrangement in for much of that first half, it just didn't work for us. Partly because we weren't too good on the ball, yes, but also they were just bypassing our midfield every time they got the ball. Um, it was very, very quick direct passes in behind our midfield line, trying to get behind the defence, not letting us press or anything like that. So we couldn't really impose the type of game that we wanted to. Um, Of course, we would have wanted to try and take the sting out of the game early and uh, just retain the ball and good, easy possession. But of course, they had to go for it, so they were never going to allow us to do that. Um, I thought the halftime changes we made were very, very good tactically. Um, But like you said, the goal that we got from VAR... That's what, that changed the entire outlook of the game, really. It changed the mood of the stadium. It changed the outlook from their players. And, uh, of course, it became a little more comfortable for us as it went on. Yeah, and on a night where we were given a little bit of a boost by VAR, uh, our pals in light blue um, uh, in Manchester were... Uh, thoroughly disheartened by a couple of VAR decisions which went against him. I think correctly so from what I've heard. I don't really know the full extent of it. Um, We'd be silly not to just talk very briefly about, um, you know, the, the, the consequences uh, of that particular result where City have gone out to Tottenham this evening um, in dramatic circumstances, last minute decisions and all the rest of it. And you and I and Dave, uh, just before the mics went live, were talking briefly about what impact this might have on the weekend and the Premier League, because it was a strange situation, Carl, wasn't it? Where, you know, I don't know about you, but I was far more keyed up for the Chelsea game at the weekend than I was about this one. It wasn't about the, the it wasn't about me being happy about going out of Europe, but so be it if that happens. It was more to do with the fact that, you know, the league has taken on such massive significance. How do you feel this is going to impact uh, our, our mate City in terms of their uh, run? It might be the start of a wobble or do you see him coming back um, angry or what do you think it's going to do? It's very, very difficult one to judge because there is a short period of time and there is really one match where we've been hanging our hat and our hopes and dreams of them dropping points. And that is this weekend against Spurs. Um, before the game, I had spoken and on uh, our scouted podcast, I said that what I wanted was Spurs to go out in the last second of the game to a, a dodgy call, a terrible decision, a lucky bounce, a horrible jammy, fluky, whatever you want. <laughs> Literally just to it. have them so riled up. But yeah, but it's happened the other way around, obviously. It's happened that all of that went against Man City. And by the same token, yes, it riled Spurs up, but it could have also left them completely devastated. Now you've got it for Man City's point of view instead of Spurs. So look, the players that they've got, of course, they are very, very strong mentally. They will have tremendous belief in themselves and all the rest of it. But if you remember earlier on this season, 
it was a couple of games within the space of like three or four where they lost. Uh, I think it was Leicester and I can't remember if it's Crystal Palace. Maybe they were back-to-back games that they lost or dropped points in. And last season when we beat them and then they went and played Man United and they dropped points again there. Um, so it does seem to be a little bit, and I don't know if this is just me talking myself into it, but it does seem to be that they have a bit of a habit of dropping games, uh, sorry, dropping points or losing matches back to back. And it takes them maybe one extra game to get out of their system that they're so invincible. They're so very, very good and assured and miles clear of everybody last year that when it does finally happen, it does rock them a little bit and it takes them another game to get out of the systems. And at the very least, that's what I'm going to tell myself between now and the weekend. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense to me, man. Makes perfect sense to me because it is so tight up there. Um, it's not like Spurs have nothing on the line here. Obviously, you could see a situation where for them the league campaign uh, sort of gets a little bit um, distracted or or, or 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 subsumed by the fact that they're in the last four of the Champions League and Pochettino may get uh, glittery. Uh, trophy shaped eyes that could happen um but then again you know who knows it's 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 nice and tight in there so everybody hopefully will have something on the line in terms just briefly again to address another sort of elephant in the room of the obvious result of this evening it means that we will be going on to face uh, Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez et al in the semi-final and um just again just a, a quick uh, uh, response to that and I'll go back across to Dave before we get started on the match about how you feel about this particular next step now and are you completely all in on this um, uh, and how do you how do you see that one going? Yeah I'm completely all in I have been ever since the the draw against Bayern Munich to be perfectly honest um, I, I have no problem with us competing on two fronts we want to be competing on two fronts and this team is good enough to win both competitions it, it, we're not necessarily the best because you know, they have Lionel Messi for starters. They have plenty of other very, very good players. But I don't think that this Barcelona team is untouchable. I don't think they're anywhere near as good as they have been, let's say, three years ago. Um, that doesn't mean that they are easy to beat or anything like that, of course. But yes, I believe we can go there and win while still winning our remaining four league games. Yeah. Love the sound of that, quite frankly. Dave, what about yourself at this stage? I know you were initially weary of this or wary of this whole competition um, and the Reds' involvement in it with, with a league there to be won. Um, Got to be all in now, like Carl, are you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing is, at the time, I I, I, th- I thought City would drop points at some point. And I thought we might be, you know, ahead in the league at this point. And that, for, for me then, the priority would just be win your last four and win the league because, you know, it doesn't matter what City do. As it is now, we need them to drop points. So, yeah, we've got to be 100% focused on both um, because, we, we, you know, to come away from this season with nothing will be, will be devastating. Um, I'm, I'm delighted that it's Barca we've got. Um, I'd rather play them over two legs than over one. Last season, I would much rather have had, yeah, Juventus or... Real Madrid in the semi-final than the final because I think they were beatable over two legs but in a one-off game I think you know they just had the better individuals again this year with Barca I think they do have the better individuals Bar kind of you know Virgil and I suppose Mane would get into their front three at the moment on current form um, but you know, they've still got Suarez they've still got Messi they've still got Busquets they've still got Tristegen in goal They've still got Jordi Alba left back. They've got world-class talent through their squad. Um, obviously, they've got L- Little Phil as well, who scored a worldie last night. So 
I would, uh, yeah, I'm much happier to play them over two legs than over one because I'm yet to see any proof that in a one-off final our team is is capable of stepping up and winning because we've we've lost the last three. Um, I think in a league situation or in a in a two-legged affair, we're much better off. So um, yeah, look, bring them on. I, I didn't see anything to scare us over the two legs. United could have been two 0 up yesterday. Um, Barca were poor at the at the, the theatre of shite, and I think if they come to Anfield and play like that, I can see them going home with a a couple of goal deficit, and we'll go there. They with no fear. Yeah, it's really exciting. I recommend anyone go onto the official website at the moment and just have a look at the fixtures because <laughs> you have the incongruous list that runs as follows. Cardiff City, Huddersfield Town, Barcelona, Newcastle United, Barcelona. And then we've got Wolverhampton Wanderers. And we are hoping that we'll have another one after that to make it seven games to see the season out. And it's really, really, really exciting times to be a Red. I hope uh, AI Pro subscribers are really enjoying this run because it's been quite incredible since this service has started up. I mean, we've just, the majority of the games we talk about are Reds winning and win, winning spectacularly and, mm. you know, driving on the finals. It's, 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 it's a hell of an exciting time. I think we should take some credit for all of this, Trev. I, I just, um, that's kind of where I was going with it. Yeah, man. you know, I mean, we started the service up and, and all of a sudden the Reds have gone from being a good team to a great team. You're um, welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, that's it. That's it. When when Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp are getting, you know, their pay rises this summer, I, I think they should be kicking back, you know. Little, little brown envelope for gags, little one for Eddie, one for me and you. Carl, I'll look after you at my end, but you know, um, <laughs> I, you know that's just—I just think that's how it has to be. And of course, you know, I'm forgetting our producer, Mr. Greg Hopcroft. He'll just demand it and get it in whatever way he wants because nobody's messing with Greg. Nobody's messing with Greg. No, that's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> yeah, well, let's let's have a look at the game that we've just won in very, very convincing style. Of, despite the fact that the first half wouldn't have uh, led you to believe that. And, Carl, they came out with uh, two additions to their team in terms of having uh, Herrera back in midfield, a very influential player for them. And you could see it on the night. Um, that meant um, Militao was pushed to right back because the other uh, arrival into the team was the 36-year-old Pepe um, with his wealth of experience at Schisshausery, uh, which was on display. Uh, he could easily have had several yellows this evening, which we say nothing about that. Militao went right side um, and I thought he had a massive uh, impact on the game when he went out there. On the other, well, it depended on on his mood. Corona, also very effective in that opening goings. Uh, Alex Tellez uh, uh, made up the defence there alongside Pepe uh, and uh, Felipe uh, and Militao. They had Danilo and the aforementioned Herrera, Brahimi, and then Otavio and Morega. And Morega was just exactly the same as he was in the first leg, um, as as I think Dave said already, Carl, wasn't he? Just sort of um, an obvious outball, got the got the touch and control to take something into himself or get beyond the last man, has the nerves to do that. And thankfully, his finishing was as woeful uh, tonight as it was in the first leg, because it could have been a different game if it wasn't. Yeah, and I think you could say that about the first leg as well. Um, you know, he he has good movement and his hold-up play is all right. And obviously, he's a key player for them in terms of their build-up. Um, there was a few times, especially off set pieces or the crosses from wide, where we really should have done much better with the initial ball. And the fact that he got a shot away, regardless of how bad it was, was actually down to our lack of good defending, to be honest. Um, Militao, I spoke about him after the first game. Um, this was probably the best performance I've seen from him at right back 
Uh, I thought he was a pretty good outlet for them for a lot of the game. He was not afraid to try and run past his man, which is not always been something that I've seen him do when playing that role. Um, obviously, he's good on the ball, but usually it's trying to change the angle and pass forward from there. But this time he, he was quite forceful in getting forward, probably more so than Alex Teus on the other side, to be honest, which was a bit of a surprise. Um, but maybe that was a, a deliberate ploy from them as well. Um, like I think overall they could have caused us more problems than they did, but I think also we could have stepped it up more than we did. And obviously had they got an away goal, I think we might have seen a different, uh, different starting lineup tonight as well. Yeah, there was a there was a funny kind of a tempo to the way the Reds were playing the game, a funny kind of a feeling to the whole performance. Um, and of course, I, I missed out there on the other new arrival into the team who had made an appearance last day was Brahimi, um, who started tonight as well. And I suppose he, you know, he, he put himself about a bit without being too uh, penetrative in any way, shape or form. And, and, and Dave, to go to you for the Reds, basically the back four is the back four. We had Robbo restored after his suspension. Um, there was a change made in the front line where Divock comes in for Bobby Firmino and oddly enough on the, after the run he's been on Jordan Henderson uh, dropped to the uh, substitutes bench we had Naby Keita doing the same and uh, Wijnaldum, Fabinho and Milner uh, formed the central uh, th- uh, three there um, the bench when you looked at it honestly it's a strong bench uh, you know it, 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 did, it did my heart good to have a look at the bench which had Keita Firmino Gomez Henderson Sturridge Shaqiri I mean that's <laughs> oh, we were just saying this after the last game as well we're starting to see first teamers on the bench now that's exciting mm. that is it exciting. is it is for sure um, I, I don't think it was any surprise that Henderson was left out today because he went off injured at the weekend yeah true. Um, so I, I think that that's the thinking there uh, myself and Carl discussed Naby on the scouted pod and he barely played for months and then he played three games in, in quick succession. So kind of understandable there. And I mean, we've been through all phases of the Brexit midfield, um, you know, from Brexit to hard Brexit to no deal Brexit. Uh, and today I think it was like an Article 50 extension where Fabinho comes in. So it's, it's better, but it's not what you want ideally. But what yeah. we're learning is that it's it's got to be Fabinho Naby plus one because Fabinho Naby plus Wijnaldum has worked Fabinho, Naby and Milner will work. Fabinho, Naby and Henderson has worked. It's got to be Fabinho, Naby plus one. That That's just how it has to be the rest of the way. Um, I thought Milner was very, very poor tonight until he went to left back. He didn't really have a whole lot to do at left back. He was able to gallop up and down the r- r- wing quite slowly. Um, but in midfield, he was a lost cause. Wijnaldum was completely out of the game. And, I mean, Divock gets his first start, plays out in the left wing, but he goes up against that. And Militao, and, I, you know, he's he's... He's only really become a centre back this year. He is he was a right back for you know his time in Brazil for the most part, and he's played quite a bit of his football there this season as well. He's he's a sensational footballer, and I felt sorry for Divock. And the, the thing is, Mane went out there, didn't really get a whole lot of joy out of Militao. Mo went out there, didn't really get a whole lot of joy out of. Mo. I thought Militao was by some distance their best player. Um, but yeah, thought, an attacking threat as well, Dave. He was well yeah, to us. One lovely run and nutmeg on, on Milner. Um, obviously got his goal later on from a set piece. But yeah, more than happy to take us on. And we did suggest on the, the transfer committee pod in January that he was one we should look at. But obviously, Rael have, have kind of ju- jumped the queue and, and nabbed him for next season. So it's a great buy for them, especially when you see what they've had in defence this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a standout player and... I thought 
Divock was a little bit unfortunate. I'm guessing he went off injured because he didn't look completely right towards the end of that first half. Like when Fabinho lifted that lovely ball into him, he didn't seem to be able to react trying to, to, to get to the ball. And um, I'm guessing that was the thinking there that he was just he was he picked up something and didn't want to risk him. I Although thought that was. I, I think that's an interesting take you have there in that, like it is. He was unfortunate. He was, you know, he came up against their best player, their their outstanding performer, and he was reduced to basically, you know, kick and rush down the line because yeah. basically, you know, it was it was really any ball he got it was let's isolate him against this one guy who had the legs on him, and it was as simple as that. And it, you wouldn't Plus, be surprised if he has some sort of a muscular twinge after it. And the other thing to to think about, Trav, there is we were absolutely getting, as you said, we were under the cosh for yeah. most of that first half. So when we got the ball to him, he was literally getting the ball with no support anywhere nearby him. He was just the out ball, and we were literally asking him just to carry the ball as far away from our goal as possible so we could reset. And then we were trying to get support to him. It wasn't like a normal Liverpool performance where you know we deal with things comfortably at the back and we just play that out ball, and he's got two and three runners with him. Today he was having to get the ball, hold it up, turn, try and go by his man, who can match him for pace, which few defenders can do, and then try and wait for the support to catch up. And it was just, it was difficult. It, was, it wasn't just him. It was the same with Mane and Mo. Anytime they got the ball in the first half, they were often having to carry it and wait for hold for, for support. Obviously, it's easier for them because they're much better players. But I, I think, he, look, he came on, he did what was asked asked him. He didn't play well, but, he, you know, he, he wasn't terrible either. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the team was, was what, Myself and Carl expected we 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 thought Joe Gomez might start. Obviously, he came on. Um, thought that was a bit of an odd substitution of time to bring Trent off because Trent was really coming into the game and playing well. And given we'd gone to a four four one one at the time, I thought which made more sense to move Trent into midfield at that point and you know take James Milner off, who looked exhausted. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And and I'd have probably been in, in concordance with that as well. And it was interesting. It was revelatory, actually, how well Milner did when he when he went back there, um, like he did when he had to go uh, full back to far side recently. And his game and contribution um, uh, was 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 impressive. The the first half, Carl, look, I'm, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, if you if you'll if you'll permit me, I'm going to boil down the first 25 minutes into a, a, a series of points here, because there's no point in talking and teasing these things out. We were, as Dave says, under a cosh. We were kind of under a bizarre type of pressure, which didn't really yield up any real guilt-edged chances for them. I mean, it started on 30 seconds, Carl. Corona cuts in, shoots narrowly over. They're very bright. On six minutes um, from a free kick, the ball comes to Morega. He shoots low, but Ali stops it. Um, Brahimi has a bit of a wild flail at one on seven minutes. On nine minutes, there's another Corona cross headed away by Robertson. Um, and they nearly uh, get to the corner, which results on 13 minutes. Corona again, decent cross, but Morega can't get the header on target. 14 minutes, Morega again, this time volleying a Tellez cross wide. There's a big gap. Um in and around him whenever he gets the ball, which I could not understand. On 16 minutes, again, he knocks one down, Morega does, to Pepe this time. And his shot is deflected for a corner. Basically, we're kind of all over the shop in terms of we're disjointed in our play in terms of retaining possession. It's so atypically 
uh, atypical for Liverpool. We could not hold on to the ball. Um, they seemed to prefer to come down Trent's side, to come down the side that uh, of, of uh, that 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 was um, that flank, the right the, our right flank. Um, Pepe has a little bit of a, a, a deliberate foul on, on Salah. Should have picked up a yellow for it. But Corona really kind of running the show. Anytime he wanted to do whatever he wanted to do, he just did it. And we were pretty bloody awful. On, on 25 minutes or 24 minutes, Carl, 13 attempts for them versus zero for us. Um, that's the opening part of the match in a nutshell. Yeah, there's no other way to, to talk about it, really. We were really poor in that opening stage. Um, I think it was perhaps that we went out there with a bit of a uh, mentality to, you know, obviously not go all out. We didn't need to. We needed to try and control the game and we just couldn't, I think, without starting with the intensity we normally do. Um, we even heard Sari talking about it at the weekend. Um, you know, Liverpool tend to start both halves very, very quickly, powerfully, lots of running, all the rest of it. And I think we tried to not do that consciously this time and it really didn't work for us at all. Um, because they were going to, they had to, they knew that if they could get a goal, then the, the crowd, who were very, very good all game long, it has to be said, um, would be completely onside. They would be roaring them on. They would fancy their chances, probably have scored another one quite quickly. Um, and we just didn't deal with any of that. We didn't deal with any single aspect of it, really. Um, our retention of the ball wasn't good. We couldn't seem to make those angles in midfield. Uh, as I mentioned before, they were playing quite direct so they did just skip out any kind of attempt to close them down or make a challenge or anything like that um, it just wasn't very good at all especially in the wide areas I didn't think we defended anything very well not the movement not the crosses um, nothing so it needed a, either something to happen in our favor or just a big upsurge in performance levels I wasn't I couldn't say that honestly I thought they were on the verge of scoring at any point but if you're under sustained pressure, even if it's not particularly high quality pressure, there's always a danger because it just needs a funny bounce or a deflection or anything at all. And it can just drop. And even even Morega would have scored eventually if we kept giving him chances. And just to tease it out a little bit more with you, what do you reckon that was down to? Our inability to maintain a hole of the ball, which is something that's just sort of inextricably linked to Klopp's as possession and we couldn't seem to retain it um, and we didn't retain it for a full 23 24 minutes um, it, 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 it was I, I was finding it a bit demoralizing like you I didn't see any massive sharp end on their threat but I'm thinking if we do something similar to a side like Barcelona who we face in the semi-final you know there's at least two goals going in that period and that that makes it a different sort of a, um, a weakness what, what was was it was it as simple as a specific area of the field uh, not functioning at its optimal or what did you think was going on there a little bit of both i think the changes in midfield didn't help in terms of obviously continuity it should have been better for energy levels because both of them uh, when alden milner had been sat out recently but obviously with that comes losing perhaps a little bit of rhythm um, it's not exactly been a, a three who have played together very, very often in terms of the little triangles and everything else that goes with it. They're trying to retain possession, those second balls, uh, and just the the overall approach that Porto had. Like I said, it was difficult for our midfield to have any kind of possession because the gaps were too big between the forward line and the midfield. Uh, the midfield were always very, very hurried trying to get rid of the ball through each other and failing to do so, but after the defence hadn't really cleared particularly well, I think we saw 
Van Dijk sort of half clear one and Salah with the outside of his left foot from the edge of the penalty box half cleared one and it, it just kept going back to them very very quickly um, so like I said I think half the approach of us trying to be quite calm and serene and manage the game and not managing to do that at all and also the tactics of Porto I think that has to be noted and applauded that they did come out with a particular way to just bypass things that we do particularly well and we didn't cope with that um, and as you say against a better team or better forwards it may well have cost us but as I say if that had been the case you could expect that the lineup would have been different and our approach in that first 10 minutes would have been different as well. Yeah, I think that's very, very uh, astute um, from yourself there, Carl. I'm sure you'd agree, Dave. And, you know, I don't know about you, um, but I, for one, welcome our new VAR overlords because uh, the last chance of that period of time was Herrera, who was clean through. And we relied on Virgil to do a Virgil on it. Um, he brilliantly swept it away and, and 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 got rid of the danger. And I was sort of tapping away on my keyboard, shaking my head, going, Christ alive, what is this? This is intolerable to watch. And by the time I looked up, the ball was in the back of the net at the far end. Like I missed a complete build-up because it was so quick. Talk me through what happened and talk me through the um the procedure around VAR and your thoughts on it. Well, first things first, on the Herrera thing, um, on the commentary, now I watched it on BT Sport, as most people probably did, and we were treated to the footballing expertise of Ian fumbling in the dark and Gobby Cabbage, who were just bafflingly wrong about pretty much everything they said. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Um, but they did make the point that it's once, when, when Herrera broke through, as he was about to shoot and Virgil took the ball off him, the linesman actually, actually flagged for offside. He flagged him offside from like 20 yards previous. So that's bizarre that they're allowing it to go that far yeah. in the passage of play. Um, but then we just literally, we took a quick free kick and, and built our way up the field. It got a bit scrappy when it landed into Mo in the box. He had to show really good strength to create a little bit of space. And I don't know if he's trying to pass the ball or if it's a shot or what it is, but he scuffs the ball across the box. And Mane appears, for all intents and purposes, to literally just be standing two yards from their goal, miles offside, and he slides it into the net. And I thought, well, he's offside. It's clearly offside. Like, look, look how far ahead of everybody he is. He's clearly offside. And then the referee called for the VAR. And then... It was really weird because it seemed to take an awful lot of time. Now, I'm watching, as we talk, I'm watching the highlights of the Spurs-City game where apparently the VAR decision on Llorente's goal took about three and a half weeks. But the one for our goal seemed to take about that long. But what was interesting was Mo kind of went and stood next to the referee and was listening to what the referee was saying back to, you know, the eye in the sky and started, like, you know, almost celebrating he was like clenching his fist and kind of you know he looked really happy and then he was pointing at Mane and sell and like again raising his fist and then the referee gave a goal and at this point we haven't seen a replay because for whatever reason they didn't show a replay which was just really weird so again I'm still thinking like, how the fuck is he given a goal here mm. he was clearly offside and then they play it back. And Divock was offside, but not interfering with play as the rule now stands. And Mane just timed his run absolutely. Like you're talking six inches, maybe. He's onside. 
and he just glides in and, and, and has its very simple goal. And it looks like a good pass from Mo, but like I said, I don't know if it was a pass or if it was a shot. But either way, I mean, you could just feel the air go out of the crowd, go out of them in that instant. Like, none of them could understand how this goal had been given. And I'd imagine a lot of the fans probably went home after the game, still bamboozled about how this goal was given, because as I say, on watching it, it, it looked like he was miles offside. When you see Mo stabbing down into the ball like a like a guy with a with an iron on a on a golf course, I think there's very little doubt, but that he's trying to put some spin on it. And for me, that means he's going for goal. I don't give a shit like yourself. Mm. It ends up being a perfect ball, and more to the point, Sadio Mane ends up making the perfect run to be there to sweep at home. Now, the right decision is made in the end. And here's the upshot of it that I wanted to just put to you, and I'll come back across to Carl on this as well, because it's worth dwelling on for a moment. There is a real case to be made here that Sadio Mane is actually now edging uh, closer uh, to Virgil van Dijk than anyone else for our Player of the Year. And if he's urging, uh, if he's um, nudging closer to Virgil van Dijk, and could perhaps even surpass him if he keeps doing things like he did tonight um, for a player of the year, then he should be in the shout for the overall thing, but he won't be. He's one no. of those players that will never be. Well, um, I don't think he deserves to be Trev because he was terrible for about three months this season. I, but we but we, we have said terrible stretch, stretch, right? It's, it wasn't. The, like, I mean, yeah, he's, he's productive in games when he's playing really badly, but at the same time, like, he's putting in four and fives out of ten and getting a goal or an assist and people are just kind of and that's fine you can do that and that that is the mark of of a top end player it is but Virgil's gone out game after game after game and putting in eights and nines and tens like Virgil's worst game this season was probably a seven out of ten and that's his worst game like there's a there's a difference between the level Virgil is at and everybody else not just Sadio not just Mo but I, I'm talking about the rest of the league Virgil van Dijk is performing at a level that nobody else is, is anywhere close to. And a lot of people are talking about Raheem Sterling. And yes, he's having a fantastic season. But he's not near the level that Virgil's at. Like, van Dijk is literally the difference between a 50-goal-a-season in the league defence and a, a sub-20-goal-a-season defence. Because yeah. the run we're on starts when he arrived last year, not just when Alisson and Fabinho came in. He did this with Mignolet. He did this with Carius. He did it with Henderson as a number six. He did it with Emery as a number six and with Ginny as a number six. So, And Deggs as his buddy. So, I I'm, mean, I'm, with, I'm with Lovren beside him. So li- literally having to play both centre-back positions by himself. Like, yes, I agree. If, if you're doing a poll, Sadio is now in the mix for number two, for like for second. But number one is is done. Virgil is player of the year in, in all competitions. Maybe not the Champions League because of Messi, but, you know, Sadio's been very, very... And since February, he has been exceptional. He really has been exceptional for about two and a half months now, where it's the performances have matched the production and even outshone them. And I thought, again, tonight we saw just his movement, his willingness to take the ball in and, and find others coming from midfield... There's a newfound, like, I don't know, it's not, I don't want to say newfound intelligence because he's never been a stupid player, but he just seems more aware of everything that's going on around him now. We're seeing a lot a lot better movement in terms of anticipating the run of somebody else and then going to find the space that they've created with that run. We see it a lot with Mo when he plays central, where Mo cuts in and Sadio immediately goes to the right-hand side 
looking for that cutback. He is playing now at a level that we haven't seen from him before. I know he put up great numbers last season and he was excellent this first season, but what we've seen from, from February till now from Mane is a level that is new to him. It's new to his, his career. Carl, you see where I was going with that as well, and Dave's kind of um, worked back around towards it. It's it's the guys who are at the sharp end of the field, the strikers, um, the fancy boys, are the ones who normally get the shed for player of the year. It's very rare you get uh, a centre half um, yeah, getting getting the, the, the plaudits that he deserves. I don't think you or I would have anything but complete agreement with how Dave's laid out the case for Virgil as player of the season. I think the fancy boy thing will work out in terms of Raheem Sterling getting a nod ahead of him. Um, that's that's just how I feel that's going to go because of that very fact that people uh, favour uh, forward players. But on the Mane thing uh, as well, feel free to get weigh in on that yourself, but on the Mane thing as well, you can see why um, I might mention him as certainly running Virgil close because, you know, he is there at the sharp end and he's been doing the big things on the big occasions. He has his consistency has got considerably better. I think that's one of the most important things. Um, you know, it's not just that he's scoring more goals, but he is often the one who opens the scoring for us. I think it's eight out of the last 10 games now uh, when Liverpool have opened the scoring. It's been Mane who's done it. You know, it's not just goals. It's important goals, you know, helping us get the lead, helping us control matches. He's got himself an assist in the game as well tonight. Um, he is having a much, much greater all round and much more frequent level of performance. What I will say is that at the very, very top end, he's still got a way to go. Um, you know, we, we this year in the Premier League, especially, we're not seeing the absolute elite uh, in terms of output and productivity from any player. Um, you know, when you consider the, the top scorers and, and not just talk on Salah, but the top, I think, three or four last season were all more goals than the top three or four have this season um, by quite some distance. But we are sharing them more around as a team. That's a big thing for us. That's part of the reason why we're better this year. We're also part of the reason better this year because we've improved at the other half of the pitch. On Van Dijk, I would say two things. One is that I think it would be an interesting, although pointless, admittedly, vote to see if people think that Salah last season or Van Dijk this season is better. Um, and secondly, I think, to be honest, we could be approaching the point or we, we've got two very big games which might dictate that we're beyond player of the year for Van Dijk. If he shuts out Messi and Barcelona and Liverpool go on to win the European Cup, we'll be talking about Van Dijk for Ballon d'Or. Never mind just the Premier League player of the year. Mm. Oh, love that. Love yeah, that. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lads, yeah, yeah. would you be shocked to know that Sadio's assist tonight was only his third of the season? Like, doesn't that seem exceptionally low? That makes no for, sense. Like, for for what he does, like, for he creates so much for us. Mm, mm, to only mm. have three assists this season. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. For, for the, uh, I think that falls to Carl's point, though, that our strikers are, are they are scoring less and at a lower conversion rate than they were last season, especially Bobby. But um, it, it also yeah. probably doesn't. It also probably doesn't quite reflect 
the carnage that, that Sadio's wreaking on the fences before goals get scored um, and the runs he's making, all that type of thing. But yeah, no, it is, it's an unusual stat that I have to say. It's it's strange. I didn't see that coming. And, you know, I might as well just stay with you, Carl, to, to see at the end of the first half before I go back to Dave for the start of the second, because basically, you know, we've mugged them there, right? We've mugged them. There's no two ways about it. Um, it, 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 it there's that awful delay and eventually gets given the delayed celebration. I think even you and I probably watching from afar thinking you're a little bit uneasy. It's great, but you you didn't have that joy of being able to celebrate it. And the match rolls on. Uh, Brahimi has a bit of a scabby shot into the ground. Alisson gathers it up. Um, I think Pepe finally got a yellow on 35 for taking out Divock in a fairly agricultural style. That's Cor- a red card. That to that's, me, that's, that's, that's a, a red trust. card. He, th- he threw his shoulder into him. And if you see Virgil sprints about 25 yards, yeah, to demand action, and the referee gives a cowardly yellow. Well, he's got nothing left um, in his in his in his locker, Pepe, at this stage, except being a shit house. And and you know he's very good at fair play to him. And you know, like I say, Carl, I mean, there's nothing much to it. Corona cuts in and has a shot uh, low this time. Allison gathers it into himself. Um, poor old Divock reduced to kicking and rushing down the line. You know, we're still losing the ball in midfield. Um, we need Robbo and, and 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 Virgil to scramble one clear on 44 minutes. And um, on 47 minutes, right at the end of the first half, we sort of got a, a little bit of a chance where uh, Milner gets to a, a Trent cross, a nice little ball in from Trent, and Milner gets a sort of an improvised volley type affair uh, that goes unorthodoxly and narrowly wide. And, and the first half ends, and I'm just going to go ahead and guess that the first half stats would be kind of stunning because I would imagine, and again, I don't have them just to hand. Maybe you guys have stuff like that to hand. But like I said earlier on, after 25, 26 minutes, it was like 13 efforts to one. Like, Carl, we've mugged them. There's no two ways about it. And we needed something to change um, uh, when, when the Reds took to the field in the second half. And, and Kloppo went about that in a very deliberate way. Yeah, fifteen shots to four by uh, by half time, and even the past success rate seventy seven percent for them, sixty one for us. Uh, it was pretty shoddy uh, in that first half, but the scoreline said one nil to us, and that's pretty much the the tempo of the game, the the outlook of the game. It's all changed at that point, isn't it? Um, that Milner chance right at the end of the half, if you want to call it a, ha- a chance. He sort of scuffs it with his body angled the wrong way and it sort of bounces probably not the way he wanted to. And yet I think that was probably the cleanest contact he made with the ball in the first half. Um, it just, it was it was all over the place for Liverpool, that half of football. Um, but yes, half time he made, not just obviously bringing Firmino on for Origi is a, it's an upturn in quality as much as anything else, but also the the way he's set the team out from that point, we switched to the four four one one. It was a good narrow midfield. It stopped their passing lanes. It just shut them down completely. To be honest, the whole flow of the game was completely different from that point onwards. It was, Dave, and you know they made their own little change. They brought on Suarez, who had played in the first leg for Otavio, um, and the second half did start pretty much in, in the same vein. But we were registering the occasional attempt as well on 48 Mo gets away he had two free inside him he had I think Bob and Sadio inside and he just atypically pulls out an awful cross when mm. there, it's it's a real it's a it, it should have been a gimme of, of an opportunity a very very unusual from Mo um 
I think they have a d- dangerous cross from Corona um, story of the match on, on 49 minutes. Uh, you know, the Herrera heads one wide from a Suarez cross. If we go as far forward as 53 minutes, Milner's still missing a lot of tackles. Ginny's still missing a lot of tackles. You know, we then have another attempt on 56, a decent move. This time Sadio crosses to Mo. He heads it over. And then they're back up the far end shooting from distance through Herrera, which Ali collects very comfortably to his chest. Now, in this sort of far more sort of uh, even uh, match in terms of opportunities carved out and you, you had a little bit more of a, a settled uh, uh, um, demeanour as a red supporter because you could see that we would be able to do what we need to do if we needed to do it uh, that's how the game panned out but there was some strange stuff going on this this multi-ball system they had going on um, sort of disrupted the flow a few times. There was actually a couple of occasions where there was an extra ball on the field. Of course, Darkey and uh, uh, um, uh, Robbie Savage don't bother mentioning that no. um, because they don't see things like that. There's a ball literally floating across through a move. The game played on. The referee ignores the freaking thing. Uh, and that happened at least twice. And, you know, it's kind of messy. It, 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 I don't. I can. I understand urgency, but you know, I don't know. It was all a bit seat of the pants and unsettling. But would you agree with me that in those opening goals, despite the fact they were registering chances, that we were too, and so you kind of you had relaxed a bit. Yeah, and I think we we just looked more dangerous in our chances. We looked like we might score. Um, like you say, a, a bad mo cross stops what looked like a certain goal. You know, we had a couple of other moments. Theirs were all kind of bitty half chances. Um, Mariega snatch of things. I mean, like you say, they brought on Sores and, and that man had the audacity to take a shot in our goal with that mustache. I mean, you know, that's unacceptable. He needs someone needs to have a chat with him afterwards. Yeah. In terms in terms of the two bowl thing, there was one occasion in the first half where they had a throw in, we were under a lot of pressure, they had a throw in, a second bowl appeared. And the referee went over and seemed to give Allison a lecture over it. He I did. I couldn't thought, understand that. Couldn't understand. Yeah, I don't that. know if he thought Allison had thrown it onto the pitch or what was going on, but that seemed weird. UEFA are trying to do a lot of things, and they're trying to do too much at once, and it's becoming a little bit messy. Um, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to improve the game, and that's fine. I, I'm all in favour of that. VAR, I think, will be very, very good. The two ball thing, if once they get it right, be very good. But you know, do one at once. It's a bit like City tonight. They're trying to create an atmosphere, so they put the plastic flags in the seat. Then they're pumping in sound into the stadium. And oh my then God! Doing a did, you, did you did you see that, Dave? Did oh, you see? Mortified, mortified for them. I mean, I, I I I take I honestly take no pleasure in this, and I'm not one of these guys who says, oh, "Look at them; they can't fill their their their, their seats." Mm. They're they're they are a, a, an old club of tremendous proper tradition. Club. They're a proper uh, they're football a proper club. football club, but they it's embarrassing what's happening yeah. there. I mean, why can't they just they, they have got so much money? Why can't they just fill the place with kids, eager local kids yeah. who'd be only too happy? But this idea of piping in atmosphere, yeah. Oh my god, it was embarrassing to do, see. That do thing. like do some sort of deals with the schools where the schools can buy tickets and and the schools can use them then as an incentive to kids to do well and whatever. Yeah, it's win win. It is, of course. And then you get those kids in, they're going to make atmosphere. And and whatever you do, for the love of God, don't allow them to be interviewed by people off the telly who get them to admit that they're United and, and Arsenal fans, because that's worse. And then that nonsense when the players were getting off the bus and they've got a fella in a PA screaming and bowling, it's KDB, like mortified for you. My stepfather's a Man City fan, long time match goer. 
doesn't go anymore because he's just mortified by the whole thing. But the problem is that City's real fans, right? Your mate, my stuff, the main road fans, they're not arsed about going and jumping up and down and singing. And they want to go and they want to watch the football. It's like they get the lads that sit in the main stand or in the Kenny stand at Anfield. They're older fans. They've been going a long time. They just want to sit and they want to watch the football and they want the team to win. That's what they demand. The problem is City don't have this, you know, a massive generation of younger fans. And they've grown as a club kind of too fast for the fan base. And they, they don't have a global fan base. They pretend they do, but they don't. They're not getting the numbers through the gates. And rather than just kind of accept that and go, you know what, that's fine. In five years, we'll have that. So let's just move towards that. Let's make ourselves appealing. Let's go and get the next generation of fans by doing these things through schools. They're trying to force it, and it's embarrassing. And back to the point about the two-ball thing, they're trying to force it, and it's going to lead to an embarrassing moment in a big game. It is Something's going to happen where someone kicks the wrong ball and it ends up in the net, and there's a big kerfuffle, and it spoils you know, a semi-final or a final or something. That's going to happen because it's always what happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it, it, in that kind of opening burst of the second half, I thought we looked more composed. As Carol said, we'd gone to that, you know, the, the, the switch in midfield with Bobby come in and we looked like we had a bit more control. We still looked very, very ropey down our left side. Milner was still all over the place. And I thought Andy Robertson was really poor tonight as well. I didn't think he was at the races at all. I thought they targeted him and, and made him look quite poor. Mariega just kept drifting onto him. And it's not Rob's fault that he's not 6'2 and like the Aldi Lukaku. But, you know, he was getting bullied and it was leading to opportunities. And it wasn't really a surprise when, when he got hooked. Um, and, and as we've said, Milner did do much better when he went to left back. For sure, and 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 just to stick with you um, for the goal that breaks this um, unfortunate spell of over and back. Uh, basically, I mean, it begins with Bobby Firmino in our defensive um, uh, in the corner where 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 Robbo norm- nominally would be doing some lovely cover work. Um, he gets a move flowing. The ball is funneled to Ginny from him onto Trent, who, you know, we see the value of that kid. Um, you know, play. pl- playing like a playing like a sort of a midfield, central midfield stroller, st- stroking a ball into Mo's path. Now the finish is sort of understatedly glorious. It's yeah. in at the butt of the near post, um, effortlessly, beautifully struck, as nicely struck almost as uh, Messi's uh, last night. W- just great deliberation about it. And, you know, it's a brilliant goal. And and we, we shouldn't lose track of that. And the fact that we had been pretty rubbish up to then, that's a brilliant goal and shows what we can do when we, when we break. Yeah, and I mean, if you think back to when we first signed Mo, he had a couple of those kind of 1v1 opportunities with goalkeepers and he snatched at them. Um, but he's he's just come on so much since joining us. And last season, obviously, he was... Incredible, but I I think this season his all round play is actually is stepping up a notch. I know we, we're not seeing the, the same number of goals, but the assists the assists are still there, the creativity is still there. I think he's becoming a more mature player, and you know he gets it's 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 gorgeous from Trent. It's it's De Bruyne esque from Trent, um, just gliding through midfield, completely in control, perfect angle, perfect weight. It literally. 
if you'd picked the ball up and ran over and put it in front of Mo, it wouldn't have been any more, any more perfect. And Mo just takes in stride. And, you, you know, you're going up against arguably the, the second best goalkeeper of the last 20 years. Um, and, and he just rolls it under him and into the net. It's, it's, it's a glorious goal. It really, really is. And it just caps the game. And that's it. You know, good night, God bless. Let's all head for head for home, and we'll all head to Barcelona and and, and, and do do them in a couple of weeks. You know, so it was it was it was a great goal in, in that moment under that pressure. It's it's phenomenal from Salah. And after a phenomenal Salah moment, Carl, we um, make a very significant change when we get to see Joe Gomez taken to the field for the aforementioned Trent. Um, that's potentially huge, uh, depending on how well and how quickly he uh, readjusts. Um, uh, we've said it already. I think the three of us here uh, certainly um, over over the course of the season. Um, Joel Matham's done nobody uh, any disservice. He's let nobody down. He's, a, he's 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 been excellent. To be fair, and it might be a bit harsh on him for Gomez to step back in, but it will be nice to have the luxury of having him there as an option. Um, However, his introduction, I don't know whether it coincides with that or whatever, but um, they get a corner and before we know it, we're, we're, we've conceded one. Um, uh, Mr. Um, Militao with a bit of a power header from a corner. You know, allison has got no chance. You could make arguments that he should be picked up more. Maybe that speaks to the momentary uh, defensive, um, uh, you know, adjustment that was going on. Um you know, I, I don't know what you think about that, uh, but basically, it, it, did you? Is there anything there to 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 make you nervous? The concession of that set piece goal. Uh, did you see anything in particular that you thought was a little bit of a worrying sign, or was it just one of those things on the night? Well, I think considering the number of chances we gave up across the two legs, it would have been really harsh on Porto if they hadn't scored a single goal. Uh, yeah. To be perfectly honest, you know, they opened us up more times than we would care to repeat. Uh, I don't know if that is, I don't know, maybe we didn't quite take them as seriously at times as we could have done or as we should have done. Maybe just the way that the ball fell and the movement that Morega had uh, on this occasion, it was a good delivery, simple as that. Um, We should have probably picked up one or two of them a bit better, um, but you can't stop every single goal from being scored. And I think, as I say, considering the number of chances that they had, um, and the number of shots in the game for each side, for them to score one, and, and we still scored four of our own. I don't really want to pick holes in it, to be honest. The tie was done and dusted by that point. It wasn't going to make any difference. And I think you can accept graciously sometimes that a team deserves a goal. Um, even if you don't ever want to concede a goal, sometimes you just got to you know, let the fans have it this time. Um, they did over the two legs. They certainly deserved a goal, I think. And we probably didn't deserve as many as we scored. But on the other hand, I will absolutely take that every day of the week. Um, for Gomez, I think really, really important that we have him back because we don't have another defender. Like He is literally our fifth defender at the moment um, to cover every single position. Lovren's out ill again. He's not been available and reliable all season long. We don't have another fullback. It's ridiculous, but that's the situation we're in. Yeah, I think that's very, very important um, point to make in terms of of the the importance of 
Gomez is when you spell it out like that we have started to lean into the idea of Jimmy Miller doing a job here or a job there but you know that's not a specialist and I think you're dead right to say that and and it will make a massive difference um, if if that guy can can um, get his match legs over the, over the course of the next um, 90, 180 minutes, whatever it happens to be. And, you know, just to stay with you, there's another equally impressive um, introduction in the form of, of Jordan Henderson, a uh, thing we're um, quite uh, familiar with of late. Uh, Henderson coming on for Robbo, who... Dave rightly said, I think had a bit of a bit of a ropey night, and you could say that Trent did too, defensively speaking. Um, but anyway, Jimmy Miller funnels across there, and and you know does very solidly, I thought, when he did. But it's Henderson who comes on on seventy, and on, by seventy two minutes, uh, Carl. Sadio Mane's through after a glorious through ball from Henderson. He managed to shoot over somehow. I don't know how he does it, but he does. Um, you know, on 33, Morega is clean through. Um, Virgil's pretty immense in terms of dealing with they get a corner. And, you know, within another couple of minutes on 76, I think it is, um, we are um, two goals ahead on the night. Uh, 3-1 on the night through Bobby Firmino um, from a beautiful cross by Mr. Henderson. Um, impact is what it's all about, and that man is having it in spades of late. Yeah, you can see the confidence and the the belief and the appreciation for the role that he's in at the moment. Um, I think he benefited an awful lot from the fact that the game was massively open at that time, and he was just surging forward into the space every time he well, every time we had the ball, not even when he had the ball. Um, but that's you know that's part of it. It's game intelligence, and you got to utilize the spaces that are there and demand the ball. And he's doing all of that at the moment. And the cross, you know, that's one of the best things that Henderson has in his locker is that clipped, curled ball from the right hand edge of the box. And sometimes he loves to send it first time spinning towards that back post. And some of the times he can cross it a bit closer. And you know, Firmino was unmarked. It was a good run, a good header, but. Their defence had fallen apart a little bit by that point. Um, I'm really pleased that Firmino got the goal because I thought he was one of the keys for us turning things around. I thought he was really good in the second half. Um, Henderson, another good impact off the bench, um, as I say, largely due to the fact that spaces had opened up so much by that point. But in the bigger scheme of things, it's again going to push that confidence of his right up there. Um, For the next game, you can probably bet that he'll come back in and start again. And uh, if he plays the way that he has been, then there's every reason to A, keep him there and to B, suspect that he's going to carry on having an impact in the final third. Yeah, that's exciting stuff. Um, you know, those two introductions, they've make, made a difference to us. Um, uh, it, it is massively heartening to see Gomez back in, in contention. It is massively heartening to see Jordan Henderson contribute in such a positive way to the team, to the squad, and yeah. to be able to do that without any sort of attitudinal issues. You never, you, you wouldn't have thought of it, it of him anyway, but he's, he, he has had a, a, an excellent attitude about it, I think. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, I mean, the match is 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 a done deal after after that in terms of even their attempts. I mean, I think there was one on eighty one where Suarez kind of seized on a little bit of a little bit of a lax moment in our defence. He drives a goal and sort of pokes it narrowly wide at the base of the post. Um, they brought on Fernando. They brought on I think Costa as well, but it, nothing mattered because Joe Gomez was getting a nice. Uh, run around he was getting some nice touches in a few carries of the ball a few little balls down the side he was um doing that thing that he does it right back which is highly effective um in 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 its own way and as as carl says <laughs> you know 
an actually a specialist defender um, and a guy who has who we know is so comfortable on the ball going forward as well. You know, we we wrapped the game up um, on 83 minutes with a goal for Virgil. It's a it's a Milner corner to Sadio, uh, a move that uh, we old timers used to see um, the Arsenal Arsenal. like George Graham doing all the time. Yeah, Steve Steve Bold with the front post flick on. That's it. That's it. Little near front post flick on and, and, and someone at the back post. And it's the simplest thing in the world. Sadio Mane, though, is such an, a wonderful athlete, you know, getting that spring to get the, get get up, get ahead of everybody and just deftly flick it. And Virgil arrives nicely. You're delighted for him. It was interesting because the, the cop were just singing his song as, as the ball went uh, went to him and went in. You know, there was a few times when poor Ali and Dark, he was very confused. He was talking about how it's really nice. It's the loudest we've heard the Porto supporters all night. It was actually the Reds that were singing yeah. at the time. It was a Red song. You're yeah. like, oh, Christ, Ian, you know. But anyway, Virgil's goal and the way that the match uh, panned out and, and, and in your take on, on the the um, availability again of Joe Gomez. Yeah, it, it's great to have Gomez back. I mean, he was excellent for the first half of the season. Unfortunately, picked up a... An injury just when he was really kind of cementing his place um, in in Liverpool's first team for the long term. Um, but as as you guys have mentioned, like Joe, Joe Matip has come in and, and he's gone from strength to strength, and he's proven that next season he's a very good option to have as, as a third centre back. Um, and it would mean then that you know you've got Joe and Virgil Matip as your third centre back, so. You obviously been lover enough and you want to bring one in. You just go and you buy a young prospect to bring in because you know that should Joe Gomez miss a couple of games or need a rest or, or should Virgil, you know, just need his oil changed or whatever, you just you bring Matip in and he will do the job for you because we've seen it this season and we've seen it against all different types of opposition and all different types of strikers that he can just adapt and do the job. And, and even tonight he threw in a Phil Jones face at one point, which I didn't know he had in his locker. <laughs> but that, that was, Surely he's too pretty for that. Oh, listen, <laughs> Matip, Matip is probably the funniest player in the you know in you know those all those new out of context um, Twitter accounts that are going around. All the, all the clips of Matip are absolute gold because he's just doing crazy things. He looks a bit like Basil Fawlty in some of them, yeah. uh, and it's it's tremendous stuff. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Ian Dark and, and how wrong he was about about that, but. Robbie Cabbage just stole the night with with some absolute gems tonight. Uh, he he said Virgil van Dijk is the best centre back in the Premier League, and arguably the best in the world right now, maybe. And then literally three minutes later, he says he's unquestionably the best centre back in the world. And then he scored. I think he's the best centre back in the world. That was after he'd come out with what may be the greatest thing I've ever heard. He said that Van Dyke's ability to pick a play, pick a player out with his head is reminiscent of Steve Bruce. Oh. Now, I watched Steve Bruce play, and there's absolutely nothing rep- reminiscent of Virgil and Steve Bruce, other than the fact that Virgil's big and Steve Bruce is a very big head. Um, yeah. Just mass- madness from, from Savage. Like... You know, you know the advice they give to writers um, when they go on these writer courses, and they say just write what you know. Yeah. And, and 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 Robbie's taken that to heart, and he he speaks about only the very very narrow frame of reference, yeah. which was his own career. All so, three things that he knows. That's the three things that he knows. 
uh, big old Barusi used to be able to head it to a lad. So yeah. So that's it. So that's the same. That's the same as Virgil now. It's valid. Um, it's valid. I do want to say though to anybody who's got a BT subscription, just know that your money pays Robbie Savage to be wrong about football in in multiple European cities every weekend and every week. It's it's madness. You're, you're actually funding this. So stop. In, in Robbie Savage's defence, there, there's Bruce and Virgil Van Dyke. Both wore number four. That's a good point. And they played in red. So there you go. That's that's what that, it is. That's about it. That's all yeah. I can come up with. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, a, what a man Robbie, Robbie Savage is. Like, just... I, he's still... The, of all the people that have ever blocked me on Twitter, he's still my favourite because I tweeted once... He was tagged in something and I tweeted, oh, well, he's the same fella that went and bought uh, a Ferrari two weeks after he joined Leicester. He tweeted me back and called me a liar. And I tweeted him the link of the article where his mother says he went and bought a Ferrari two weeks after Leicester, and he blocked me instantly. <laughs> the absolute prick. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it, at, at that point, the game had become very, very open. There was massive expanses of space everywhere. I think Fabinho was actually running, you know, getting the ball, just running towards their players just to be close to somebody because he wasn't used to all this space around him. Um, you guys have mentioned Henderson come on very, very effective tonight when he came on, had the time and space that he enjoys and was able to make things happen. A, a good pull, good ball through to Mane that he really should score from. And then obviously the, the, the good cross for um, for Bobby. I mean, look, since he came on against Southampton, excuse me, Southampton, so that's what, two starts and two sub-appearances. This is the best run of form we've seen from Jordan Henderson in, in years. Um, and and it, it is good to see he's now contributing to the team. He's he's actually worth a place in the team now, which hasn't been the case for a long time. And, and he's excelling. He really is. Um, so so all credit to him. time either. No, exactly. Couldn't he's literally be, yeah. turned up at the right time. Um, and I, I've been more critical than of, of him than probably anybody um, for going missing when, when it's, you know, when push comes to shove, but he, he's turned up at the right time of the season and long may it continue. Well, it's going to continue for at least another, we know six games and we hope it continues for another seven. And we do have a semi-final um, situation against Barcelona uh, to look forward to. Um, they're still saying that the dates are to be confirmed in the official fixtures list on the website, but I thought that was already done and dusted. Yeah, so it's either the 30th, 30th of April and the 1st of May, or the 7th of May, and, and the 7th of May and 8th of May, but I think they just haven't decided which semi-final they're going to run first. I think that's what the, ah, okay. what the thing is. Okay, so we're looking at uh, the earliest is the thirtieth. Is that correct? Yeah. In April, yeah. right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not too far in the in, in into the future. And again, just uh, in a nutshell, because people want to hear uh, an immediate take on that this as well. Now that we know what the opposition is, I'm going to go to both of you and, and just a little bit of nutshell about how you think that that game could pan out, or or or, or the the, um, the the threat posed by. Um, yeah, you know, Barcelona, hell of a hell of a thing for me to be to be asking you about, and then we'll wrap it up and get out of here. So back to you, Carl, on this one. Um, you know, we have talked about it briefly, but you know the 
this Barcelona, are they as threatening a force as they have been? Um, I've heard some describe uh, Messi under um, the current manager as the best version of Messi to date. Um, that's kind of scary in and of itself. How do, how how um, high on on a, on, a, on a list do you rate this threat that they pose to us or that we even pose to them? Well, yes, we do pose a threat to them and anybody else that we play, undeniably so. Um, we see time after time and game after game that we are one of the best teams around and being in the last four of Europe again for the second season running, that is proof, proof enough. And the season that we're having in the Premier League, again, it's further proof. This Barca team is not the best Barcelona team. Um, if you take, let's say, the the final season of Messi, Suarez, Neymar as the attack, that was, for me, the best Barca after the Iniesta Xavi sort of team broke up. Um, they were phenomenal. They were very, very difficult to stop. This team, I don't think they've been challenged enough this year in La Liga to really see what they're capable of. And it might well be that this European competition now brings out the best of them. Um, because it has been, you know, a little bit of a while that you know, Real Madrid winning three in a row. Um, it's a bit of a, a thing for Barca, obviously, to try and get their name back on the trophy. Um, not just because they want to win, well, they do, obviously, but because it's been dominated by Real Madrid over the last few years. Um, honestly, I think that we are the team who is going to bring the best out of Barca, um, which you can see as a positive or a negative. You know, it's going to show us exactly how good we are. There can be, you know, none of these ridiculous accusations of easy draw and all the rest of it. Um, Barcelona are, or were, earlier in the season, most people's favourites to win the Champions League, I think, along with Juventus. And I don't think that that will have changed an awful lot. Um, they have a huge squad, loads and loads of good players. When you consider they can leave out Coutinho or Dembele or whoever they want on a week-to-week basis, people like Arturo Vidal who are just squad players for them. They have a massive squad. They have a fantastic group of players. The manager is... A little bit pragmatic, maybe, compared to the Barcelona teams that we've seen previously. But tactically, he's very astute. They rarely lose a game. Um, As I say, I think that they haven't really been challenged in La Liga this year. Certainly not as much as they should have been um, with how far behind Real and Atletico are. But against that, we've seen previously that when it comes time for these teams who are just absolutely waltz in their domestic leagues to really ramp it up for the big games, Paris Saint-Germain or Bayern Munich or whoever it is, they've not been capable of doing so. I don't think they were tested in the slightest against Man United. I think the gap between United and ourselves and United and Barca is probably about level. And uh, I think it's going to be one hell of a two-legged competition. It is incredibly exciting, Dave, isn't it? How do you, how do you assess the challenge posed by Valverde's men? Well, Messi terrifies me. But after him, there's no. I don't really see a whole lot to be scared of. Um, I think if we take how United played against them as kind of sort of a blueprint of some good things and lots of things not to do, one thing they did in the first first leg that worked really well and they were able to limit the effectiveness of Messi was to cut off the supply. And look, there's no question Messi's the best player. But the most important player is Sergio Busquets. And if you cut him off and stop the supply going forward, you can have some success. Now, I'm not saying that you cut him off, you beat them, because uh, Arthur's there, he's 
a phenomenal player. They've got Rakitic, they've got Coutinho, they've got Dembele, they've got Suarez, they've got all these other players. Like Carl said, Arturo Vidal, who a couple of years ago was one of the best midfielders in the world and is now just the Barcelona hatchet man who comes on for 15, 20 minutes and kicks everybody. Um, like They've just got you know strength and depth that we don't have, and I, I don't know that anybody has. Um, I, I do think we can beat them. I think if we can go over there and come back with even, if we came back with a 3-1, like if they would beat us 3-1 over there, I still think we could overcome that at Anfield. If we come back with only a one-goal deficit, I, I'd make us favourites to go through. I think we're that good at home. And I think I think it all just comes down to that little genius they have in their number 10. I think he can, like, as good as we are, he's better. And if he just decides to turn it on and we allow him to do so, as United did last night, he, he can beat any team in the world by himself, no matter what else is going on around him. He's that special. Um, he's certainly the greatest attacking player that we've witnessed for uh, at least since Maradona and maybe beyond. But, you know, he, he's a force of nature and there's a newfound efficiency with him where he kind of makes the most of every touch. And it, it is kind of scary to watch but like Carl said we've seen better Barcelona teams the, the Guardiola years that was better the the Messi Suarez Neymar front three that that was better this is a very good team but like Carl says I mean they haven't been tested domestically they went what the, they were unbeaten last season in the league until the second or third last game as well we haven't seen them pushed to their limits domestically and we certainly haven't seen them pushed um in the Champions League this year because United, with all due respect, are a mid-table Premier League team. Lyon are not even, you know, they're not even the best team in France and we beat the best team in France and they've lost the last two as well. And then when you look at the group stage, they it's not like they were tested. Um, Inter Milan aren't particularly good. PSV were very poor. But Spurs did have success against them. And I think if you look at the Spurs games against them, there's there's something there that we can we can look to you know we, we can look to um to take from. Well on that sort of guardedly hopeful note we should wrap it up for this evening and we will with the Reds into the last four of Europe's premier competition for the second season in a row. These are incredible times to be around. I hope you're enjoying them with us here uh, on AI Pro. Um, Before we go, I'll ask the lads if there's anything coming up that you'll want to wrap your ears around. Um, I'm going to assume, Dave, that there'll be a scout with yourself and um, Carl here um, coming up for Cardiff, yes? There will. um, Probably recorded tomorrow, so tomorrow or Friday. Um, and one last shout out to Robbie Savage on the night um, where he discussed our upcoming game with Cardiff and informed us all that Neil Warnock is doing a great job at Cardiff where they sit yeah. the third from bottom in the relegation zone. Yeah, he knows his stuff. He knows he, his stuff. He really has set a low bar for what's good, hasn't he? <laughs> He really has. I mean, he's plucking out Steve Bruce references. He spent 20 minutes in the first half talking with players that weren't even on the pitch. Yeah. He suggested that, you know, Michael Owen, Robbie, I mean, the fact that Michael Owen was in, they, they tried to make make us excited about Michael Owen and Steve McManaman being two-thirds of the halftime panel. Uh, that was different. 
but he just uh, Robbie, a great man, start to finish tonight, just just different level. Yeah, tune in next week. Basically, it's gonna, it's gonna be good. Uh, Carl, all about yourself aside from um, scouted with with Dave there. Anything coming up in terms of articles or anything like that you you want to flag up? Yeah, I got articles, but follow me on Twitter for that. I think more interestingly, I'll finish with another piece on Robbie Savage as well. Um, we mentioned him and we spoke about him last time I was on uh, after whichever game it was that BT covered. I can't even remember now. And we spoke about Robbie Savage, and he was saying that. You know, that Liverpool need a third goal and all the rest of it. And we were full of wondering why. And I pointed out that it was the fact that he usually needed a third goal for his team to like get a point out of the game. And I think tonight is exactly the same. He's talking about this 18th place manager doing so very, very well. And it is in Robbie Average's eyes because he spent most of his career 19th, 20th and bouncing <laughs> up and down from the first and the second division. That is a fair point. <laughs> I'm on that bombshell. Yeah, you've you've given me the, the, the I was inspired listening to both of you there. The title is going to be uh, Reds Savage Porto. That's what we're going to call tonight's show. That is how we'll wrap it up with that little revelu- revelation for you subscribers. Thanks to you for your support. Uh, your ongoing support is much treasured by us all here. If you're trialing, join up. I've been Trev Downey. Until I speak to you again, be kind to your fellow Reds and stay safe out there. So there we have it, folks. Post-match Raw. I hope you enjoyed that as much as uh, as I did. I'm sure the lads enjoyed making that one last night. Uh, certainly uh, seeing Liverpool go through, but then seeing Man City crash out. What are your feelings on that? Let us know. Uh, the best way to get in touch with us and give us feedback on any of our shows is on our own uh, Discord community. It's a, a thriving community, a brilliant place to hang out and, uh, and debate with uh, other Liverpool fans. More... Uh, shall we say, expansive than uh, than what's possible on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, it's a real good place. Uh, the best place, the best way to uh, get involved in that community is absolutely free. There are some uh, some locked areas for subscribers only, but the best way to get involved, danfieldindex.com forward slash Discord, which is D-I-S-C-O-R-D. It's completely free, as I say, to, to go and start debating that. It's a really cool community. Uh, get, get over there and uh, let us know your thoughts and some of the points raised. How are we going to, deal with Messi is uh is Virgil van Dijk really a, 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 a world footballer of the year candidate who's going to win the player the players player of the year there's all these debates that are going to go on and on and on and it's a great place to come and debate them uh, but we're certainly going to keep enjoying the season and what's to come from it certainly this uh this league campaign and uh, I suppose most of you are already starting to twitch uh, about the Cardiff fixture already I know I am <laughs> not even thinking about Barcelona yet so uh so do come on discord and as I say if you want to uh get involved in NAI Pro, then we'd love to have you over. Give it the seven-day free trial. If you don't like it, cancel it. It's very, very simple to do. Anfieldindex.com forward slash join to do, to do that seven-day trial. And then uh, only $4.99 per month if you wish to continue or £3.33 per month based on you uh, signing up to 12 months at $39.99. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that post-match roar, as I say, and uh, we'll look forward to building up uh, the content now towards the Cardiff game. And until next time... Up the Reds. Sports Social Podcast Network.